Well, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Thank you, Greg, and those for leading us in worship. And thank you, men, for finally taking up the offering. I hope you have a Bible with you this morning, and I want you to go with me to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Hopefully when you came in, you got a bulletin from um, Brother Ron on the back of that. There'll be some notes. They'll be behind me on the screen, but uh, you'll see some notes on there if you want to follow along. uh, Studies have said that you stay awake and you retain better when you take notes and when you follow along. So if you want to stay awake um, and if you want to retain more of what we are doing here together as we're studying God's Word and applying God's Word together as a church family, then those notes are on the back of that bulletin there. Uh, have you ever, do you remember, and I think uh, Mark is going to pull it up for us. So he's going to put an image there. And I, and I don't know how easy that is to see. I don't know if you recognize what that is. But years ago, you would go to the, the State Fair of Oklahoma. And you'd be walking through some of the exhibits. And they'd have these easels set up. And they'd have these pictures set up. These 3D images. And I remember sitting there going, what is that? It looked like some 3D print, you know, some, uh, what was it, NDF now I think is what it is or something like that. But actually, and you may not be able to do it sitting there in the chair, but actually if you stare at this thing correctly, you will see an image. Some of you are like, there's not an image in there. I promise you there's an image there. If you look right there in the middle, there is a cross and it is kind of pronounced and it is kind of stuck out. And then on the side, there are three rays on each side, kind of like rays of light coming off of the cross. Now, I don't know if it's how easy it is. Mark said he can see it. So if you can't see it, then Mark said he could see it. But what it is, it, it, there's an image. And so you go to the state of Oklahoma and you would see these prints. And there is a number of prints. And they all had a different images contained therein. But you would look at these prints. I would look at these prints. And I would try to figure out what is the image. There wouldn't be a title. There wouldn't be a name. There wouldn't be like a hide and seek that you slide the ruler and there it is. It's one of those things that either you see it or you don't. And this morning, my aim for you is as we look here in Joshua chapter 5, we're going to finish out this chapter. We're going to be looking at verses 13, 14, and 15. And my question for you this morning is, what do you see? You think about the image that I just had up there on the screen, and some people will look at it and see colors. Some people will look at it and see lines. Some people will look at it and see shapes and figures. Some people will look at it and they would see the cross. They would see the rays of light emanating off the cross. They would see it. But my question for us this morning is what do we see? What do you see? And you're probably thinking, well, what do you mean, Spence? Well, that's where we get into the text this morning, I remind you of the neighborhood in which we are coming into. Joshua has led the people. They have crossed the Jordan River. They are now encamped at Gilgal. They have now encamped at Gilgal, successfully crossing over from the wilderness now into the promised land. The whole nation of the appropriate men and the appropriate ages, they have now been circumcised. The whole nation has now observed the rites of Passover. And so with those things being done and those observances being had. Now you can imagine that the direction the gaze goes from the people some scholars have said over a million people and with more men and women, boys and girls. Now they're wondering, okay what's the next objective? Where are we going next? Well the next big item on the, on the, on the calendar, if you will, is Jericho. The city of Jericho. So in chapter 5 and verse 13 <coughs> 
Notice what the Bible tells us. It says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or our adversaries. Joshua is coming up and asking the man a question. Now we have been asking a question or I have been trying to ask a question as we're walking through this book of Joshua is what does it mean to be successful? What does it look like to be successful? How do we measure success in the eyes of our Christian life or even the eyes of the church? How do we know whether we individually or we corporately are being successful? So we've been looking at some different keys that I've been that I've been pointing us to out of the book of Joshua saying this is a key to success. This is a key to success. And this morning, as you see there in the top of your notes, the key to success that I want you to see with me this morning is seeing. Part of having success in the eyes of God and the success in the terms of the biblical narrative is seeing. And you're going to see in a minute, seeing what God sees. But the question is, what we see. The first thing I want you to think about is what do we see or, or what we see there in your notes. As we come in here in chapter 5 and verse 13, we see what Joshua sees. Joshua is there and he's by the city of Jericho and you can imagine that he is probably there doing a reconnaissance mission. He knows that's the next objective on the calendar. He knows that's the next place to conquer, and so he's there. Everybody is still down at Gilgal, healing of their wounds, making preparations, and he's up there, and he's wondering, okay, how are we going to conquer this city? How are we going to take this city? How are we going to move forward in taking of the land? And so many times, we are just like Joshua. We are defined and confined by only what we see. Sometimes in your daily life, sometimes me, in my daily life, the only thing that I see are the dreams and wants yet to be fulfilled. All I can see is what I don't have. All I can see is what you have that I want to have. All I can see is what I hope to have someday. All I can see is what I want, what I want, what I want, and I want, and I don't see what I have, what I've been blessed with, and how I have so much more than other people around me. All I see is what I don't have, what I dream about, what I want, all these things yet to be fulfilled. And you can only imagine Joshua. He's sitting there, he's looking at the city. He's like, God has given us this land, he's given us this land to conquer it, and now I'm wondering, God, how are you going to bring this to pass. Sometimes we get fixated on the dreams and wants yet to be fulfilled. Sometimes we get fixated on the goals, the objectives yet to be reached. I want to get this promotion at work. What do I got to do to get this promotion at work? I want to get to this stage in life financially. What do I have to do to get this stage of life financially? You can imagine all the things that Joshua was seeing when he says there in verse 13, he was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes. You can imagine what Joshua was seeing and I wonder what do you see today? Sometimes you see what you don't have. Sometimes all you see is pain and hurt. Sometimes all you see is negative. Sometimes all you see is what is lacking. Sometimes all you see is what doesn't suit you. Sometimes all you see is the darkness and not the light. It's very easy for us to get so fixated on what we see, we don't even realize sometimes what we don't see. And Joshua is sitting there in this passage, and there in verse 13, he is sitting there, he's looking at Jericho. It doesn't give us a lot of explanation exactly what he is seeing, but you can imagine he is seeing the city, he's seeing the walls of the city. He 
seeing the, uh, the, the armament of the city. He's seeing the, the width and the breadth of the city. He's seeing the height of the city walls. He is seeing the city. And all he's thinking about is we've got to conquer that. I wonder how we're going to conquer that. In the midst of that thought, he looks over and he sees this person. It says there in verse 13 that there was a man standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So Joshua comes up to him, makes the famous statement, are you for us or for our adversaries? Sometimes the only things that we see in our life is friends or foes. Growing up, my grandmother had a, a kind of an office back there in the way. And so you would come in and the rule was is as you're coming in, you were supposed to ring the wind chime. If you came in and walked in on my grandma and you startled my grandma, she would go into a hysterical fit and you thought that she was going to decapitate your head on the spot because you scared her. So the rule was you come in and you always ring the wind chime so she would know somebody's coming. And when you would ring that wind chime, she would, crawl, she would cry out, friend or foe. And I always thought, that's kind of a weird question, Grandma. Because if I'm the big bad wolf, am I going to say, foe? I mean, if I'm there for nefarious reasons, if I'm there for, to harm you, I'm not going to look at you and say, this is who I am. I'm just going to go about, I'm, I'm going to say friend and then I'm going to deceive you and all these things. But she would always cry out, friend or foe. But you know, sometimes in our lives, all we are do is looking for whether they are friends or foes. Where the Bedlam football game is, you get whether you are in Boone Pickens Stadium or you're down in Memorial Stadium, down there in uh, Purgatory, and you, and you get down there, and the whole stadium. When you get down to the stadium, you're going to see you're going to see orange and black, and you're going to see red and white, and it's like the entire stadium will be filled. And it's very particular. If you're an orange and black type of person, you don't sit with the red and white type of person. And if you're a red and white type of person, you don't sit with the orange and black type of person. It's like they separate and they have identity, identities of this is my friend, this is my foe. And sometimes we try to divide our lives up the same way. This person's a Republican, this person's a Democrat. This person is a mask, this person is not a mask. This person is a lion, this person is a tiger. Sometimes we start to only see the friends and the foes and it can turn us to the point where all we think about is us versus them. So Joshua comes in here and he asks the question, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Joshua only was seeing that there was a man, a soldier, an armed man with a drawn sword and he wants to know, are you for us or are you for them? And sometimes it can be easy in our daily lives to think in those terms. We think that either you are for the world or you are for the church. And we have this idea that those people outside these walls, either they're for us or they're against us. And so it becomes this conflict, doesn't it? It becomes this battle, doesn't it? And there are some preachers out there that they're going to answer to God one day, but they have this attitude and they try to incite you and they try to stir you up to go out there and think that everyone out there is against you. And I want to remind you this morning, that everyone is out to get you. That every person that isn't in church this morning is out to get you. They're not out to get me. I'm not that special. You're not that special. But sometimes we can start to frame it. We can start to think about it that it's friends and foes. It's us and them. So Joshua is coming. He's asking the man. He is saying, so who are you with? And sometimes that's how you and I try to divide people. We try to divide them into simple categories that we can then decide whether we like them or not. Whether we'll listen to them or not. And it becomes a legalism, 
type of thing where we start to divide people by their political affiliations. We start to divide people by their sports affiliations. We start to divide people upon what kind of translation of the Bible they use. We start to divide people upon which denomination of a church they attend. We start to divide people upon how they act, how they dress, what they listen to. We start to divide people up and the world is content as long as we are always dividing people up, judging one another. We're not seeing what God sees. So notice there as you get into verse 14 of Joshua chapter 5, listen to what the man says. <coughs> Joshua looks at him and says, are you for us or, our, or for our adversaries? The man said, verse 14, and he said, no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. I want you to think about this morning with me what we see versus what God sees. When you think about what God sees, there's a certain number of attributes that we know about God. First thing we know about God is that he is timeless. God is timeless. He is outside of time. He doesn't, he is knowledgeable about minutes and seconds and hours and years and months. He's knowledgeable about that, but he is not confined by that. Now that will make your brain hurt if you start thinking about the thing that we are in time and God is out of time. But we understand that when we start thinking about the temporal, God is thinking beyond the temporal. We start thinking a lot about life in a matter of a number of years and how many years have on this life, but God does not think in those ways. God is thinking in eternity. God is thinking forever past, forever present, and forever future. God, when he, when we are seeing the temporal, God is seeing beyond the temporal. So this man, this man comes and looks at Joshua, and he says, I am the commander of the Lord, or the, of the army of the Lord. As God is looking at the picture, he is not seeing Jerichoites and Israelites. He's not seeing conquest and conquering. He does not see a land and, and, and a people. He is seeing this whole picture, this whole story in the sense of redemption and the sense of eternity. Sometimes God sees beyond what we see. There's some things that you and I don't see coming. Three years ago, someone starts telling you about this COVID-19 thing. Oh, the most of us would have said, yeah, right. That's not going to happen. And yet how quickly do things take place? I was sitting there last night at the alumni banquet in the gymnasium up here at the school. And they asked me to do the benedicting prayer and I stand there and I'm looking at a group of people and I'm thinking, there's not a single one of us in this room that ever thought that I would be there doing the closing prayer. No one. <laughs> no one. <laughs> above all me and yet we never know what God sees and we never know what God is looking at we never know what God is going to do so this commander the commander of the army of the Lord he looks at Joshua and he says this is who I am Joshua I am not for you I am not for your adversaries I am the commander of the army of the Lord and then you see these four words he says, now I have come. Now your translation may use it in a little different way. But this idea, it's just two words in the original language. And it's this idea that you know what? It doesn't matter what's happened before. It doesn't, it's not going to matter what happens moving forward. All that matters is now I have come. And because I am here, that now changes everything. You see, God sees our predicament. God knows our predicament. But God that anything is possible with him anything can happen with him and so when we are sitting there we're only seeing the temporal we're only seeing the physical we're only seeing the things that we can see God sees beyond all of that 
So God sees beyond the temporal. He sees beyond the physical. He sees even beyond the visible. He sees what we can't. Scholars would tell us that the walls of Jericho were so wide. You could take two chariots side by side and drive them around on top of the walls. We think back to Rahab and the story of her. She was living inside the wall. So obviously the wall was big enough that you could build a house into the wall of the city. They would say the walls would be so high. The walls would be so thick. And you think about these Israelites that just come out of the wilderness. They don't have tanks. They don't have trebuchets. They don't have battering rams. They don't have explosives. They don't have helicopters. They don't have all the things we think of today. There's a bunch of Israelites coming out of the wilderness with sticks. And rocks. And slings. And they're coming up to this wall thinking, how are we going to conquer them? Sometimes you can look around you in your own personal life and all you can see is the obstacles. And you don't see God. Sometimes all you can see is the doctor's report and you don't see God. Sometimes all you can see is the negative and you don't see God. Sometimes all you can see is the problems and you don't see God. Sometimes all you can see is all the reasons why it won't work and not the reason why it can work. And God comes in and God says, do you not see what I see? I don't see it as this just being a moment of time. I don't see it as just being a physical problem. I don't see it as just being a visible problem. God comes in, the Lord, the commander of the army of the Lord comes in and says, now I have come. So it doesn't matter about the obstacles you are facing. It doesn't matter about the hurdles that you are facing. It doesn't matter about the problems that you have. Once God is here, God can do what he wants to do and God can handle whatever he wants to handle and anything is possible with God. And so the commander of the army of the Lord comes in and says, you don't understand Joshua. It doesn't matter how wide the wall is. It doesn't matter how tall the wall is. It doesn't matter how many people are in there versus how many people are out there. It doesn't matter about your techniques or your knowledge or your skills. Do you not understand that once God is here, everything changes? You know, so many times in the life of the church, we start to think that it's all about methodology. You know, if we just put Greg up here in some skinny jeans and do a little fog machine, well, we could get really get the people in the door. If I would just preach for about 15 minutes and I would have some nice stories and I would do a little juggling, maybe some sleight of hand, boy, everybody would just come in the door. If we would just have some lights, if we would just do this and we start to think about, it's our methodology. I want you to know that it's not going to make a difference how many people come here if God's not here. Because the only person that matters when we gather together is God in this place. And so many times, church, we only see what we see and we don't see what God sees. And so the uh, the commander of the army, the Lord, comes in and says, Do you not understand? I am here. So what is it that God sees? Well, God sees beyond the temporal. He sees beyond the physical. He sees beyond the visible. In other words, God sees the condition of the heart. So God sees the condition of your heart. There's not a single thing that you have going on in your life that God doesn't know about. No one knows what it's like to be me. No one knows what I'm going through. No one knows the the issues that I've had. No one knows the past that I've had. No one knows what this person has done to me. No one knows what that person has done to me. No one knows how I've dealt with it. No one knows the burden that I have. No one knows. No one knows. And I want you to hear this morning that God knows. And God sees. And when you think that no one else sees, God sees. So I asked you what to consider what we see. 
through the eyes of Joshua. Consider what God sees when the commander of the army of the Lord shows up. What is God seeing? Is he seeing an obstacle? Is he seeing a hindrance? Or is he seeing an opportunity to show up and show off? But here's the final question I want you to ask. What does the world see? We ask the question about what we see. We ask the question about what God sees. But what does the world see? I want you to think about what Joshua does. The second part of verse 14. The commander of the army of the Lord says, Now I have come, and then notice what happened. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does the Lord say to, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so, so you can just imagine, and I, I, don't, I wasn't there, and I don't want to imply in the text, but I don't think it's too hard to think. Okay, so Joshua's there by the walls of the Jericho, really not told what time of the day it was, but let's just imagine it's the middle of the afternoon, he is sitting there, there's a whole host of people on the walls, they're looking down, they're wondering, what are these guys going to do? If you look back in chapter 5, and it looked, and, and looked there, b- 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 verse 1, at the last part of verse 1, after they had crossed over, the hearts were melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them. It's talking about the people, the people in Jericho, the people in Canaan. As they crossed over, all the inhabitants knew, if God can help them get across the river, then God can help them do anything, and woe is us. So you can imagine Joshua is standing there. He's looking at the walls. There are no doubt probably people on the walls looking down at Joshua going, what is he here to do? What is he going to do? Are we watching? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And then they see this man come up and Joshua and the two men stand together and they can just imagine the army of the commander of the army of the Lord saying to Joshua, ha, I have come. And what does Joshua do? Does he tell the commander of the army of the Lord to get in line, to fall in ranks, to bow down? No, they see Joshua prostrate himself before the commander of the army of the Lord. And then I wonder, in our personal walks today, what does the world see in us? What does the world see in us when we are given a choice? And I put there in your notes, do what they see, they see our actions when given a choice. When we are given a choice of whether we will serve God or serve ourselves what do they see? When we are given an opportunity of whether we will obey God or we will obey ourselves, what do they see? You can imagine this army, this commander of the army of the Lord looks at Joshua and says, No, I have come. And Joshua said, You are, <laughs> you are worth worshiping. You are worth submitting to. You are worth humbling myself before. So it says that he fell on his face, worshipped him, asked him, what do you want me to do? He said, take off your sandals, and he did so. Joshua was so convinced he was in the presence of God that he was willing to do whatever God told him to do. If I was to ask you this morning to repent of your sin, confess your sin to God, there will be some of you in this room that will say, I can't do that because what are the people going to think around me? I can't do that because then what will someone say about me? I can't do that because then someone will see me respond. Someone will see me react. I may ask you, hey, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day. Do not wait another day. Come forward today. Give your life to Jesus. Pray to be forgiven of your sins. Cry out. Make him more to your life. And let today be the day of salvation. But then some of you will say, but what will people think? Some people might sneer. Some people might look. Some people might question. Some people might judge me. 
If I was to look at you this morning and say you might hear, be here and be saved, but you've never followed a believer's baptism and you need to come and you need to follow in obedience before God just like Christ gave us the example of and you need to come and be baptized. It's the first step of obedience as you come to faith in Jesus Christ. The problem is that sometimes we get saved but we following believer's baptism and if I was to look at you this morning and say hey if that's you here this morning and you need to come and be baptized some of you will stop short and say no no I don't want to come and admit that I have never followed a believer's baptism and I don't know what people are going to say about me and what will people what will people say in the hushed tones and you're more worried about what the world thinks than what God thinks And that's the danger that we come into when we start worrying about what the world sees instead of what God sees. And what the world sees is us being more worried about the world than we are worried about God. And they see that in our actions when we're given a choice. They see that in our response when put to the test. A sickness comes, a hindrance comes, an obstacle comes, a trial comes. Where do we turn? They see it in the worth of our witness. Everybody has a witness, but some are worthy and some are worthless. Some of us have a witness that points to God. Some of us have a witness that points to the hypocrite. Some of us have a witness that point other people to our humility and our submission and our obedience to God. And some of us just simply say that I know how to put on the face and I know how to act the part when I come to church, but I don't know how to live it out in my daily lives. In other words, what the world sees is what we really serve. And so these people are sitting there and they're watching. I can just imagine this scene. They're watching Joshua. They're watching the commander of the army of the Lord. They watch this connection. And they may not have been able to hear what was going on. They are watching. They are watching how people respond to God. And they're watching us on a daily basis. I've heard it before. Just in my short time being in this community. Somebody will say, well, You must have really talked long this morning. I saw your cars as I was leaving the church. Why are you worried about this church? You got your own church. But people are paying attention. People are looking. People drive by and they see how many cars in their parking lot. People drive by and they see how tall the grass is or how short the grass is. People drive by and they see the new signs. They they see the new signage. People drive by and they see these things and they form an opinion of these things. The world sees these things. And beyond that, the world is looking at you and I and they are seeing in our own daily lives how we are living, whether we're living in obedience to God or in obedience to the world. And the world sees What does the world see? Joshua is in this text. He's looking at Jericho. He sees the commander of the army of the Lord. He's asking the commander of the army of the Lord, are you with us or are you against us? The commander of the army of the Lord comes in and says, no, no, Joshua, you got this all wrong. Joshua, you don't understand. It's not a matter whether I am for you or against you. The question is, are you with me? And I think sometimes in this daily life, we start to try to pigeonhole people that you're either for us or against us. And the question we need to ask ourselves is not what side are we on, but are we with God? So the dangers if I go around and start telling you about all this sin and all this sin that you and I shouldn't commit, sometimes you start to say, well, what right do you have to tell me that I shouldn't do this? What right do you have to tell me that I'm wrong? And we start to compare ourselves and we start to compete against one another. So start looking for sin in me, which it's 
really easy to find. But you start looking for sin in me, I start looking for sin in you, and then we start playing cross off. And so I look at you, and I'm looking at Van, and I'm thinking, Van's got one, two, three, four, five sins. And Van looks at me and goes, I got, Spence has one, two, three, four, five, six sins. So guess what? I can't talk about Van's sin. And as long as Van doesn't talk about my sin, I don't go looking for number six. And then we just go right along. I don't talk about his sin. He doesn't talk about my sin. And we just rock right along except for the world sees both of our sins and says, ha, we knew it. And instead of us trying to think about him versus me, maybe we should just say, we're both going to be on God's side. So as God shows us our sin, we will repent of our sins. We will conform to God's image of what we should be. And when I go to an individual, and man goes to an individual, and you go to an individual, whether it's yourself or the woes around us, and you say, you know what, that's not right. You shouldn't be doing that. And they say, why? It's not because I think so. It's because God said so. And so much of the time, the church is worried about this us versus them and not us on God's side. So how do we seek success? How do we seek success in this world that we're living in today? When it talks about what Joshua is doing, Joshua is coming in and he's looking for an idea. How am I going to conquer the city? Back in those days, there were just some very simple ways that you would go in and you would conquer a city. Either you would go over the city walls, you would through the city walls, or you would go under the city walls. It was pretty much over, through, under. Those are the three main strategies you had when you were going to try to conquer a city wall. So you can imagine Joshua's coming up and he's surveying the property. He's surveying the place and he is wondering, okay, what makes better sense? To go over, to go through, or to go under? And so I imagine he's looking at the walls, he's looking at the height, he's thinking about the thickness, he's thinking about how deep down the foundation is, what it's going to take to try to tunnel under there. But that was the whole idea. Over, through, or under. And you can imagine, that's all he's thinking about because that's all he sees. And to the commander of the Lord's army that comes. And once that man says, I have now come Joshua isn't concerned about over, through, or under. He's not concerned about the people in the wall. He's not concerned about the people back at camp. He's not concerned about what these people think about him. He's not concerned about what those people think about him. The only thing that Joshua is thinking about is the figure of God before him. Brothers, friends, sisters, sometimes we get so fixated on the world that we take our eyes off of God. And sometimes we can so find ourselves worried about what the world sees. We don't think about what God sees. And sometimes we can be more concerned about us versus them. I want people to like me. I want to have an opportunity to speak into people's lives. Sometimes we can get so fixated on this whole dichotomy, if you will, we forget where God is and what God sees. So I wonder what God sees in you. Just a few quick application points we'll be through. The first question I'd have for you, are you looking for God? Are you looking for God? Joshua had come to the city and he not necessarily was looking for God, but he was there and he's wondering, oh God, how are you going to do this? I know how you just did the river crossing and that was pretty cool. That was This isn't quite the river crossing. This is now a city of Jericho. How are you going to do this? The question that we need to ask ourselves, are we looking to God? So many times I just assume that I have the answers or I assume that someone else I know that has the answers. How easy today when you have a question to go and look for the answer. Years ago, I don't know if you remember Cha-Cha? 
Anybody remember cha-cha years and years ago? And you would type in 242-242 and you'd ask a question. Here would come this answer back. I remember late at night being on the drilling rig and there was some question come up and the guy said, well, I'll just text cha-cha. And I said, who is cha-cha? And he goes, you've never done that before? And I said, I've never done that before. And he types in a question, hits send, and a few seconds later, here comes this answer. And he's like, ah, see, cha-cha said. I was like, you don't even know who cha-cha is. You have no idea who this person is that is responding to you and what makes their, their answer correct. Same thing today, brothers and sisters. Google is not infallible. (laughs) Google does not know everything. Google is a tool. And yet so many times, when we have a question about life, we go to Google before we go to God. So the question is, what are you looking for? Are you looking for God? The second question is this, where does God see you? As God is looking down and he sees the commander of the Lord's army, I don't believe that it's a Christophany. I don't believe that it's the the actual presence of God, whether I think it's an angelic presence that is there. But as God is looking down and he is seeing that angelic presence interact with Joshua, where does God see Joshua? Where does God see you? Does he see you in the dark, hiding your sin? Does he see you covering for your sin? Does he see you rebellious in your sin? Where does God see you? But then here's the last question. Where does the world see you? Where does the world see you? Came up in Sunday school this morning. It's just a question of fellowship and light and how it is that we are to interact with a dark and dying world, a lost world around us. How we are to interact with them and yet maintain our fellowship and our interaction with God. And the question was, was how, how do we do that? How do we stay close to God and yet get close enough to the world to be a light and to be a witness and to be a person that is drawing them to God? How do we do that? And I think the bigger question for us sometimes is, what does the world see in us? Do they see hypocrisy? Do they see duplicity? Do they see someone that acts one way and then behaves a different way? Are they seeing someone that acts one way on Sunday and then acts another way on Monday? What does the world see in us because I can assure you that the world doesn't see Christ in us it's going to be really hard for us to talk about Christ to them so we want to come in and say well I want to invite you to vacation Bible school and that person says I don't care about coming why not because whatever it is that you are serving and whatever it is that you think that you belong to it is not a truth because I see what is in your life so the question for us this morning is where does the world see us I would much rather the world see us with God than with them I'd much rather the world see us in truth than in lies. I would much rather this world see us in light than darkness. But brothers and sisters, we still have to ask ourselves, are we looking to God? Do we know what God sees in us? Where does God see us? And where does the world see you? So many times, the only thing that we see is right here. We don't see what God sees. And we don't see what the world sees. And I wonder if you were to think about your life this morning. What does God see? And what does the world see in you? Would you bow your heads with me?